Gibbs, founder of Incandescent Public Relations, publisher of Being Incandescent Business Magazine, and you are host for the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, the voice of entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Hope Gibbs, founder of the Incandescent Radio Network. We are here today at Serious Fun in Westport, Connecticut, with Steve Nagler, Director of Program Innovation and Evaluation, and Kelly Elliott, Interim Director for Camp Support Services. Thank you for having me here at your offices in Westport and for welcome to the show. So first let's tell our listeners a little bit about Serious Fun. Founded in 1988 by actor Paul Newman, this incredible program serves more than 440,000 children who are suffering from illnesses in more than 50 countries. It has 30 initiatives worldwide, including 14 full member camps, 13 global partnership programs, and three new camps in development, which is amazing. But before we launch into our Q&A with you two, let's tell our readers a little bit about each of you. Steve is the Director of Program Innovation here, as we said. Before joining the organization in 2002, he was assistant professor and founding clinical director of Yale University Child Studies Center Family Support Service for almost 20 years. That's a mouthful, but quite an amazing position, no doubt. Uh, the Family Support Service provided home-based child mental health and child welfare services to abused, neglected, drug-affected, HIV-affected, and at-risk kids. From 1995 to 1999, you were also the, the country director of the U.S. Peace Corps in Samoa. And from 1998 through 2002, you were the director of the Peace Corps Pacific Initiative. Truly amazing. Um, Kelly, you are the interim director of Camp Support Services here at Sirius Fun, and you've been with the organization for more than seven years. Prior to joining the organization, you spent time at Children's Aid Foundation in Toronto, where you helped establish a corporate development and communications program. Prior to that, you were, pre you were responsible for in-country communications for Right to Play in Ghana, helping promote sport and play as a vehicle for health and education. So I'm completely blown away by the two of you. <laughs> this is wonderful. So let's talk now. Let's just dive right into Serious Fun Network. Steve, tell us what it does. Well, the Serious Fun Children's Network is really a collaborative effort of all of our camps and programs around the world. And here in Westport, the support center um, uh, provides services to all those camps um, through um, knowledge sharing, training, um, crisis communication, um, criteria for camps, um, and fundraising in common. Um, which helps all the camps and programs. Um, so that, it really, is, it really is a joint effort, as the word network would imply. So um, let's talk a little bit about serious fun in general. So Paul Newman founded it in 1988. What, in, what made you want to come work for this group? Well, um, personally, this met every one of the things I like to do about working with children, about international work, about new programs and new developments. Um, the network, which was then called the Association of Hole in the Wall Camps, was actually founded in 2001. In 1988, when Paul founded the um, Hole in the Wall Gang Camp here in Connecticut, the very first camp, um, nobody had the idea that it would ever go beyond that. Um, and we had a period that I call our biblical period when one camp begat another. 
So there was the Hole in the Wall gang camp, and then there was Double H, and then there was Barrettstown in um, Ireland. And by about 2001, there were, I think, five camps operating, all part of this movement, as yet unnamed. And um, there were two or three camps in development. Um, and so it became apparent that um, there needed to be some structure put around this. So the camps came together, and what, is, what we now know as the network was created then. And Kelly, tell us a little bit about why he founded these organizations. Well, I think Paul, you know, he, he always talked about luck in his life and how, um, how fortunate he was to be in the position that he was and how um, there was others in this world, children specifically, that didn't necessarily have the fortune that he did. And so he, he wanted to be able to provide a place where kids could go and despite their illness, despite their limitations, still be children and be able to sort of, as he said, kick back, relax, and raise a little hell and, um, and sort of find who they were as a person um, beyond their illness. And what, what makes these kinds of camps different from other camps? Well, I think there's a few things that set us aside. Uh, one, you know, these are camps for children who, because of their illness, could not go to another camp um, because of the medication that they're on, the diet that they need to maintain. Um, but I think what really sets us aside is the people. And um, the, the people that come in and the training program that's provided them is the highest of quality. Um, we have a process by which all volunteers and staff are trained to be able to deal with homesickness and behavior issues um, and really uh, bring the campers out of their shell if they were. Um, and then we also have this, this level of standard or quality of care um, that we provide. All of our camps must be ACA certified, which is the American Camp Association. Um, but in addition to that, they all must go through what we call our criteria process, which is a process of standardization. And those are um, policies and procedures that they must adhere to in order to maintain their membership within the network. So Steve, tell us a little bit about what kinds of illnesses these kids are suffering from. Actually, it's a better question for Kelly. Okay. <laughs> Kelly, you're up. <laughs> um, well, when the camps were founded, they were founded for children who were really suffering from cancer, from HIV, um, other blood diseases, hemophilia, sickle cell. As time has gone on, as environment has changed, um, our camps really look to what are the conditions that children are suffering from uh, the most these days. Um, so every camp is required to undergo a needs assessment to determine who in their area are suffering suffering from what type of illnesses, and so where are the gaps in services. Um, and so our camps are now serving, in addition to cancer and HIV, sickle cell, they're also serving children who've had heart transplants and kidney transplants and um, are really suffering from much more um, critical illnesses that, um, again, they could not go to another camp uh, for because of the needs that they have. We should, we should probably also mention that each of the camps has a full pediatric medical clinic almost in the camp. Um, I've heard it said by physicians that it's kind of the equivalent of a pediatric emergency room. Um, none of them are called clinics. Um, they're called things like the body shop or they're called things like um, the well nest or the, the turtle shell or all kinds of crazy things. They don't look like 
a clinic. Nobody wears a white coat. Everybody's going by their first names. Um, but we are equipped to handle the, the, the regular ongoing needs of children with these very serious and often life-threatening illnesses, as well as whatever emergent needs there are, um, so that um, children are, you know, safety is the first, is the first uh, responsibility for all of us. And um, it, it's very important that especially parents know that these medical facilities are in place. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about the day-to-day -day activities of the camps. And you also talk um, about creating a sense of possibility, which is beautiful. So, so talk a little bit about that. If you come to a hole-in-the-wall camp, a uh, serious fun camp, it'll look like every other camp you've ever seen or, or been to. Kids are riding horses. Kids are swimming. Kids are um, going down zip lines. They're camping out overnight. The full range of activities, all adapted and or made safe for the kids that, that we serve. The sense of possibility is very important in, in my mind. Um, you know, we all grew up, or most of us grew up, believing that if we did our homework, ate our spinach, and listened to our parents, we could grow up to be anybody doing anything. With these kids, not so much. They lose time from school because of their illness. They lose time from school because of the treatment. Um, unfortunately, people kind of tend to shy away from some kids with, with various um, illnesses. And so that sense of possibility that we all have or had or want for our kids gets, gets disrupted in a way. And our camps are very intentionally programmed to be able to restore that sense of possibility through the successes that children can achieve um, at camp, through their ability to realize they're not alone, through the relationships they have with their counselors at camp, and in some camps that have been around longer, fully 25 to 30 percent of the counselors are former campers. Really? Yeah. So that sense of possibility is exactly what we're trying to um, promote. So, and this is about kids playing and being kids. Why does that matter? Play is the work of childhood. It's how children learn. Um, but as our name would imply, it's not just fun. Um, there's a serious side to this, talking about the sense of possibility that, um, uh, that I just mentioned. Um, and um, and helping children engage with others. Um, it's often the case when you're a child with lots of medical issues. Again, you lose time from school. Um, and the friendships that develop normally, or typically, better said, typically in childhood often don't develop for those kids because, you know, they're... They're not with their, their age mates and their schoolmates all the time. So we work very hard, um, again, at helping children re-engage and helping them develop these kinds of friendships, develop these kinds of relationships. And if we're doing our job really well, the kids never notice. They just think it's fun.
And there's a bunch of research that shows that when kids are happier, they heal. And I imagine even though these camps are a short period of time, a couple of weeks over the summer, it lasts for months, years, their whole lives. Well, we are currently um, evaluating our outcomes. We have a, um, a relationship with Yale University um, with our member camps. And we have a relationship with San Diego State University School of Global Public Health um, on our global partnership programs. And what we are finding is essentially what we've heard all along. You know, we've been at this since 1988. Um, and parents have said to us often, what did you do to my kid? He came in or she came in and they were shy and withdrawn and didn't have any friends. And now they go back and they want to join every club at school and they want to have their friends over every day. This is terrific. What happened? So we thought in 2010, we thought, you know what? It's time to figure out what happened. And what we've learned is that ch are the children that we, that we serve are creating friendships, 98% of the last completed study was 2012, the summer of 2012. 98% of kids reported making a new friend. 58% of them were still in touch with that friend at one month, 48% at six months. More than 70% of parents reported um, significant improvements in their child's sense of independence, in their motivation, in their interest in social activities. Um, again, straight through to six months. Well, this is not only good news on the face of it, but there's really a, a lot of medical literature that links better social connectedness, better social relatedness to better health outcomes, mm -hmm. to better educational outcomes as well. So we feel like we're, this is the serious part of the serious fund, and the, uh, the evaluations are ongoing. What's very interesting is we see the same results or very similar results in the global in the global programs around the world in Africa and Asia and uh, the Caribbean, um, including the um, the improvement that parents and caregivers report in the social social connectedness social relationship sphere, which is really kind of interesting. Um, I don't know very many interventions that work across cultures, across languages, across, um, across the globe in this way. And if you walked into a camp program that we were doing in Botswana, uh, it would look very much like, if not exactly the same as the camp program we're doing, you know, anywhere here in the U.S. or Europe, understanding that there are adjustments for language and culture and so forth. Well. For what it's worth, my own penny-ante analysis of this is that, you know what? We are by nature social animals. Otherwise, the saber-toothed tigers and the woolly mammoths would have eaten us. Mm -hmm. and, so, and we don't do so well on our own alone. And so the importance of the social connection crosses all borders and boundaries. And we're able to, we're able to do that, which is very exciting. Is this something that can be duplicated in other camps or even at home? Is there something besides coming to a serious fun camp that people could engage in? 
I think this happens around the world. I think this happens in everybody's home. I think this happens all the time. We have taken the mission of focusing on a very specific population with very specific needs and giving them what lots of organizations or families give everybody. So Kelly, talk a little bit about the volunteers. You rely heavily on that. Um, what is this experience like for them? Yeah, I mean, we do rely heavily on volunteers because our camps are free of charge. And so having volunteers can come in and, and help us run the same quality programs, you know, at a different at a different budget rate. But I think having volunteers is so important because it brings in a new life. It brings in a, a new breath of fresh air, you know, as they're coming in on a weekly basis and working with the staff that are there all summer long. Um, you know, and I think we often hear that camp is important for our campers and our families, but it's it's also equally as important for our volunteers as well that come in and you know we hear them say that first day that they come onto camp that they're nervous, they're not really sure how they're going to deal with this, is it going to be sad? And as soon as that first bus pulls up or that first car of families pulls up and they see the smiles on the campers' faces, it's all of a sudden this realization that this is a beautiful process and that um, this is a very positive, welcoming place. And they learn just as much from the campers, I think, as the campers are learning from the volunteers as well. How do you get to be a volunteer? Becoming a volunteer is a is a um, an important process. There is a, an application process that you would have to go through, um, and then there's an interview process. Uh, because we are serving campers and because we are serving children with an illness, it's very important that we are seeking out qualified um, candidates who are also um, safe to work with. So they are undergoing a background check to ensure you know that they are safe to come to camp. They're also undergoing um, medical. Um, evaluation where they have to provide immunizations and a physical examination as well because we don't want to compromise the health of the campers while they're on camp. Um, and so when you, are, if you're interested in applying, you can come to our website, which is uh, seriousfundnetwork.org, and find out where the camps are located and what their process is. Um, fill out an application, and then once that application is reviewed, then the um, it's usually a two to three step interview process that will follow. Excellent. And camp is free of charge for kids and their parents. Why is that, and how do you ensure that policy stays in place? Which one of you guys wants to take that question? I can take that. Okay. Um, well, it's free of charge. I mean, that that was was Paul Newman's belief. That's our first and, and core philosophy of camp. That no that no child or family should ever have to pay to come to camp. And the reason for that is that. Our families are undergoing a lot of stress with with the child being ill, and a lot of expenses with that. And so, having to make a decision between that and sending your child to camp shouldn't shouldn't be a decision you should have to make. And so, we want families to feel comfortable that they can come and experience this, and not have to worry about where they're going to find the money to pay for that. Okay. So, how do you raise your funds? Um, well, we here at the support center have uh, fundraisers that uh, will uh, will work with each of the camps, who also each have their own set of fundraisers um, to go out into the community. A lot of our donors are corporate donors, working with uh, companies both nationally and globally to support the camps. Sometimes um, a few different camps in in their regional area. Sometimes camps across the network. Um, we're also working with individuals um, that believe that this is an important mission to put forward, um, and. 
and and we also have um, an array of events that, that we and the, the camps will also put on each year to raise funds. Um, across the network, our, our camps and us are raising a little over $70 million. Um, and again, that is because all of the camps are free of charge. And the um, the level of, of medical um, supervision and, and oversight that needs to happen requires um, that level of budget. So Steve, how do you raise money for the camps? Well, I think our camps are each independent um, charitable organizations. So they're raising money individually. Um, here at the support center, we're trying to, we're raising money uh, in common, raising funds in common for all of the camps and any money that comes in through the support center, 100% of that goes out to camps and programs. We are, our, our camps and we are um, incredibly grateful for the generosity of individuals um, who have chosen to uh, support us. Um, companies, local and global, um, corporations, foundations. Uh, we have a total budget, all of the camps, um, of uh, somewhere around $70 million. Um, and, um, you know, that represents a lot of kids and a lot of camps. And it represents the significant cost of providing the kind of the level of medical care, the level of staff support um, and engagement that we, that we require for the kids we serve. And you have a bunch of fundraisers. One's coming up, well, coming up now, probably when this podcast goes live and the issue goes live in May, it'll have passed, but it's April 2nd, and it features some pretty famous singers and celebs. Uh, tell us a little bit about that upcoming one. Um, yeah, on, on April 2nd, we will be in New York City for our annual gala, uh, which is uh, an evening of, um, of entertainment. Uh, Sarah Bareilles and... Um, Tony Bennett, thank you, are headlining the event. Um, and so it will be an evening for, for uh, our supporters to come together. There will be uh, campers from uh, each of the camps across the United States that will be uh, performing in the show along with our special um, musical and uh, dramatic entertainers. And, uh, and then guests will also be learning a little bit more about the organization and how they can get involved. That's very exciting. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to say, Steve? Yeah, you know, Understanding that this is a network for entrepreneurs. We were founded by an entrepreneur, Paul Newman. And he made um, charity and social um, uh, responsibility as really a corner post of, of his entire efforts. Um, and we're here today because he thought this was a good idea 25 or years ago or more. Um, and so I'd just like to encourage all of your listeners as entrepreneurs to consider charitable enterprises, social responsibility as a part of what they do. It'd be nice if you all gave the money to us, but I don't expect that. I expect that you know everybody has their own interests and own issues that they want to support. But if you think about the kind of impact that Paul Newman had in his lifetime and beyond, because he did, he thought of this, I think this would be a great thing for everybody to do, and I'd really encourage it. 
Very good. And actually, that is the theme of this issue is the power of giving back and the art of it. And this is a beautiful organization with a great cause. So please check out this wonderful group at www.seriousfunnetwork.org. And we will have several other podcasts with other members of this group. So be sure to check that out as well. Again, their next fundraiser is April 2nd, and then they have another one in London later this year. And annually, there's lots of ways to come and celebrate helping kids heal. So that's it today for the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, the voice of entrepreneurs. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) So that's it for today's Incandescent Entrepreneur Show, where we always ask, what's your story? If you have a good one and would like to be interviewed on the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show, send me an email to hope at hopegibbs.com. Check back every Monday at noon for a new episode of the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, www.incandescentradio.com. We look forward to talking to you next week. Here's to your incredible, indelible success.